Welcome to Brand Story, Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week, we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. Today, we welcome Simon Owens to the podcast. He hosts The Business of Content, a podcast about how publishers create, distribute, and monetize digital content. And he's a content and social media marketing consultant. Simon, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Loving your podcast on the business of content. So from one podcaster to another, um, happy to jump in. And we'll start right there. That's how I came across you in the last year, getting to digest some of your business of content. content. So tell us about the origin story. How did it start? Uh, so basically, so like my background originally is in journalism. I started off as a newspaper journalist. I was later, you know, wrote for a lot of different magazines. Uh, I was an editor at U.S. News and World Report. Um, but I've always been kind of fascinated with not just the creation of content, but how it spreads online and how it's monetized and stuff like that. And so I actually started kind of developing that as a beat that I would write for. Like I originally had a blog that I wrote for, but then I also was, uh, you know, there was this publication called PBS, uh, at PBS.org called Media Shift, and I wrote for Neiman Lab and a lot of these other publications where I was kind of writing about this uh, intersection of technology and media. Um, I launched a newsletter about it in 2014. Uh, but what was happening concurrently is I, w- I was absolutely lo- in love with podcasting. Uh, like I started listening to podcasts back in like 2005 or 2006 when the medium was completely brand new. And it was, uh, I always like loved the idea of launching my own podcast. Um, but I was kind of intimidated by kind of the learning curve of it because like, <laughs> unlike, unlike, you know, writing and, and uh, for, for the web, there is a little bit where you have to, at least back then, now it's a little bit easier with things like anchor. You had to find someone to host your podcast you had to find a way to record the interviews. You had to figure out how to edit them. Uh, and all that together just kind of intimidated me for a while. Um, and then, and But then in uh, January 2018, I don't know if it was a New Year's resolution or, or something about the fact that it was January where you, all of a sudden you, uh, you, you kind of get off your butt and, and you know, follow through with your ambition. I just went for it. And I just spent a few hours one day reading everything I could about how to launch a podcast. Um, and then the biggest challenge, as I'm sure you know, with launching a new podcast is it doesn't exist. So it's kind of hard to get like big name guests on the on your podcast. So I started out with just like emailing a few friends and colleagues, like people I interviewed for my newsletter or for magazine stories and stuff like that. And kind of explained to them, like, hey, would you do me a favor? Just come on this podcast, um, you know, for like a half an hour. And so those first few episodes are with people I knew and was already corresponding with. But once you have like a few episodes and it's something you can point to, it starts getting a lot easier to get, uh, you know, bigger and bigger, bigger guests. So like, you know, since I launched it, I've had everyone from, you know, the New York Times to Slate to Axios um, you know, New York Times bestselling writers, it's gotten a lot easier for me to get like, you know, really accomplished people within the media industry who can like come onto my podcast and, uh, you know, talk about the ins and outs of, of how they run it. Well, I'm, exci- uh, so- <laughs> I'm excited to dive into the, the business of podcasts. You definitely have, uh, you can see your passion for it coming through and some of the guests that you've had. And obviously in the toolkit of 
content creation. Uh, you were there in 2005. It seems like most people just got on the bus in the last 24 months. So we're going to dig into that a little bit. I'm excited to do that. Awesome. Uh, so t- let's take a step back. You're, as a day job, you're a consultant, right? You've written for everyone from The Atlantic to Neiman Lab, New York Magazine, and the list that goes on and on. Uh, but now as a consultant, you get this unique inside look across a wide range of businesses and industries. So h- how are you seeing the C-suite embrace or maybe not embrace the connection between content creation and bottom line results? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to get a look at the entire industry because, like, a lot of these companies are private. It's hard It's hard to know, like, the inner workings at, like, a mass level. I can only really speak to, you know, the clients that I've worked for. Um, I see a range in terms of, like, executives really getting the importance to it, to other people um, just kind of giving it lip service. It, I'm sure, you know, you work on the brand content side. I'm sure you have a... Um, a, a lot of people that you talk to in, in terms of the sales cycle and they, they talk about how excited they are about getting into creating content and, and doing all that but then they hear the price tag and then all of a sudden they start ghosting you and stuff like that <laughs> um, so, so I, I think that like that if you talk to anyone within the C-suite you talk to any executive any kind of business uh, they'll give like a lot of lip service to things like social media and content and video and podcasts and stuff like that. Uh, but I think it's it's definitely still a, a much smaller percentage who are actually, you know, are true believers and who are willing to make that kind of investment. Yeah, I mean, I think I've seen a little shift. We started our company, Teamworks Media, back in 2000. So we've seen a pretty significant evolution, but it's kind of gone from, from that C-suite level of people not knowing why they need to know why they need to be in the game to being in the game, but not really sure where to focus their efforts, right? So it's it's a lot different conversation, especially with so many brands that, that are getting ink and Digiday and other places for having in-house yeah. agencies and the amount of, of investment that they're making. It's interesting at the smaller to mid-sized businesses where they may not have the resources. And so that, that starting point is to your point, makes folks, um, there's, there's still that leap of faith effort, it feels like, from people, despite how many case studies you show them. Yeah, um, and that's where I usually operate. Like, you, you guys are probably operating at, like, the Fortune 500 level, um, but most of my clients usually are, like, either they're at mid-level or small companies, or I'm being subcontracted by a larger brand when I'm, when I'm working with, you know, a larger company. Like, for instance, one of my clients is Politico, um, and I work on their advertising side, on their on their brand content. So they'll connect me with like their blue chip clients, you know, everyone from like Wells Fargo to Delta, like all these huge brands. But that I'm working as like a subcontractor underneath Politico for that kind of stuff. Well, that's that's maybe a good jumping off point, and and I appreciate you because I think we can learn a ton from the small and scrappy. Right? Um, I think even if you're a large company, you can learn a lot from 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 them, and so. I'd love to get your take on just some of the basics on your from a day-to-day perspective. How do you go about building a content strategy for a company? 
Yeah, and, and, and you'd be surprised at, like, how many companies actually try to skip that part. They, they'll approach you and they'll say, oh, I want a white paper or we're looking for someone to write, you know, articles for our website or our newsletter or whatever. And they're ready to, like, even start assigning you articles. And you're just like, well, what is, what is your strategy? What is your goal here? Like, if you're just going to, like, throw a bunch of content out there, um, you know, like, you're going to basically – get disappointed and think it was the content's fault and not the fact that you didn't have a strategy. So like when a, when a client actually approaches me and wants me to come up with their strategy before we launch into it, uh, it really is kind of like a step-by-step process where, you know, the first time I meet with them after the contract is signed is I'm sitting down with them like for three or four hours. And I just have like a detailed list of questions with them where I ask them anywhere from who are the stakeholders uh, questions about their product, how their sales cycle, how are they selling their product, and then like their marketing efforts so far, and where where kind of in the in the purchase funnel you, their users are usually coming through, and really get a, a understanding of like how they sell their product or service, and where to date most of their their customers are coming in through, and that's going to help you really kind of determine what kind of content. It's going to attract that exact kind of uh, buyer. Um, and then I, I put a lot of emphasis on studying their competitors. So like, that's a huge part of my research is saying, okay, who, who would you say are like the top five, 10, five to 10 competitors in your field? And, and then, you know, from there, I will actually then go and look at the website, the social media accounts, basically any piece of content uh, that their competitors are creating out and just looking for things that I could copy, just looking for things that they're doing right so that we're not reinventing the wheel every single time. Um, and then after that, you know, I'll basically write a document that's anywhere from five to 10,000 words uh, that's really kind of going step by step of identifying their reader, um, identifying the, the different kinds of, like usually I'm suggesting lots of different kinds of content that you can be creating on a regular basis. Everything from thought leadership art articles to interviews with influencers within their field. Um, and then I'm also just showing examples. So like if I see that a, a client of the, or a competitor of theirs is doing something really interesting on Instagram, I will actually, you know, include screen captures in the reports and they can see uh, exactly what I'm suggesting that they do. It's interesting. I think actually you and I are almost an example of, of what I'm about to say. And I think that is to me, when you're doing that competitive research, the thing that jumps out and, and it gets our team excited is really finding the niche within the niche, right? So you're doing the business of content podcast, which is definitely niched into a specific audience, and we're almost like a subset of that. We're, we're, we're talking about folks that are actually creating entertaining content within that continuum of the business of content. And so I'm curious, um, we tend to see people skip that step right, that they kind of tend to go right down um, whatever their product or service is in terms of trying to connect with people on that as opposed to maybe finding an area that might be some white space or blue ocean, depending on which cliche you want to use, business cliche book you want to use. And I'm curious what you see a lot of the brands that that don't get their content strategy right. Are there themes of what you see that they do wrong? Uh, yeah, I mean, like one of the biggest things is they make it a little bit too much about themselves, and they don't—they totally. don't, they, they really don't understand—is that like they're basically trying. If a good, really good brand content strategy, you're basically trying to mimic 
what the mainstream media is doing. You're basically trying to create your own version of the New York Times or the Atlantic or name your favorite film studio or or Radio Lab or This American Life. Like it, it, like you were first and foremost trying to create a piece of entertainment. And if if you create something that is basically just a glorified ad, um, consumers and users are going to are going to be able to spell that right away. And your your ultimate goal is to get them to share it. So you might trick them into watching or reading whatever the content is. Um, but the second that they they realize that they're reading or watching an ad, they're not going to then go email it to their colleague or share it on social media. So like I, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of these uh, a lot of companies make when they're thinking about content strategy. Well, let's stay there. Branded content and that line between branded content and real journalism, how important do you think it is to hire experienced, experienced journalists for branded content campaigns? Yeah, I mean, I think it's incredibly uh, important. Like, like, if you wanted to today, you could go on a site like Upwork or Fiverr or any of these kind of freelancer sites, and you can find someone who might have some like basic writing, copywriting or blogging experience and they will go out and they'll use Google uh, to like search for terms similar to whatever you want them to write about, and they'll kind of, uh, you know, they'll write like a serviceable blog post. Uh, but like the really the best kind of branded journalism is like someone who knows how to talk to sources, how to find sources, how to convince them to, you know, get on the phone with you because that's a that's a huge undertaking in itself because you're not paying these sources like they have to want to get on the phone with you, um, interview them, and then really kind of figure out and you know ask the right questions and really distill from their answers something that could fit into a larger narrative piece and uh you know someone that you're hiring off of upwork or fiverr is just not going to do that it's someone the person who can do that is someone who's spent years creating you know content for magazines or newspapers or if you're a video artist you know uh actual studios or or whatever that have through trial and error created content that millions of people have consumed over over time, um, and uh, and that's a skill set that you can't just learn off the cuff. It, it takes real time to do that. One place where your pod and ours overlap, like the, the the crossover, is really these brands who aren't media companies making that media mindset transformation, right? That shift into really understanding at, at a big level and. I went through uh, some of your recent podcasts over the, or over the last 12 months and kind of picked out a few. And I mean, recently you, and I'd like to talk about a few of those um, and, and ones that you're seeing, the people you've talked to on your podcast, like I thought uh, folks would enjoy hearing about All States, the renewal project, which you just talked about. Yeah, so like All State, I mean, that's the renewal project is kind of the gold standard of branded journalism in the sense that like, you barely even realize that Allstate is creating that. Like it has its branding on the website, um, but it is so focused on leaning journalism forward, leaning content forward, um, that it, it that Allstate is almost like a kind of you know just kind of like a side character, you know, a sponsored by kind of uh, entity that isn't fully forward. And I think that's really kind of. Uh, the best of brand content. And, you know, the reason that they're able to create such good content is they're actually working with 
uh, Atlantic 57, which is kind of like a side autonomous company that's a spinoff of uh, the Atlantic, the magazine. And so mm-hmm. they they have they have access to you know some of the best journalists in the world. And the per- the person that I interviewed for the podcast, like she is, she was a very experienced editor and journalist, and she's she's editing that publication, and she has a real you know budget that she can utilize to hire freelancers and on the ground people. So uh, for that one, Allstate is really trying to connect with local business business owners, um, you know, community members, people who might someday uh, be its customers and, and purchase its insurance. And it's basically featuring these community members uh, all across the United States with like really engaging storytelling that, you know, is, is designed to be shared and read and, and consumed. And, and so I think that's, there's not a lot of brands that really kind of a have the resources to create content that's good that good but b also are willing to kind of release some control from to people who actually know what they're doing how to create like really good content i think that's the nuance you talked about earlier right and that is this it's a really hard for a brand of any size of of reputable size especially of an all-state size to have a branded content play where they're giving up control and the average person consuming the content would think that you're just a sponsor of it because the content's that good, right? There's no manipulation. There's no, and yes, you like this and buy a policy, right? Baked into the, the, the journalism. And I see that as one of the hardest things for brands to wrap their head around still. Are you, do you see that or is that just my perspective? Yeah, because who who is hiring you from the brand? It's the marketing department. Yep. <laughs> a, a those A those marketers for the most part are journalists. And B they have very strict you know guidelines about uh, messaging and branding and everything like that. And so it's incredibly scary for them to you know uh, basically hand over the reins to someone who isn't necessarily want to adhere to that uh, to that branding. Basically, who who else that you've talked to? Uh, really pique your curiosity on this topic in, in what sense in the media companies that you know kind of that mind shift to becoming media companies like all state you know i mean i think i heard like aging media network was one that was on your podcast that that seemed to be similarly doing things like that or there are there others that that come to mind um that are that are doing it well yeah, I mean, so like one of those, like a few companies that are doing it well are in the podcast space. So like one of my favorite branded podcasts um, that I listened to within the last year was uh, created in collaboration with Gimlet Media, uh, where they hired or where they were hired by Tinder to create a podcast. I can't remember the name of the podcast off my off my head, but if someone Google's just Tinder and podcast, they'd be able to find it. Um, but like they basically took the you know Tinder, which is for matching up with dating. They found singles who would set, sound really good on audio, you know, like very kind of engaging uh, extroverts, uh, and paired them with like the data scientists at Tinder who could look at like the 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 vast streams of data and see what what made them more what made Tinder profiles more successful or more likely. Um, to get swiped left or right. I don't know which which way it is when <laughs> someone accepts it. Um, <laughs> you, you can tell I started dating my current wife before Tinder came out. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, and then we'll actually, you know, following them to the date with the microphone, like you could see how like that creates like really amazing content 
And yeah, it was like the Tinder branding was on it. You knew Tinder was creating it. Tinder was featured in the podcast, but like you didn't care because it was basically like a like a reality TV show, like a like a dating show, uh, and it was really just fun and engaging. And I think that is kind of when you think about the gold standard of branded content, like that that really is up there. Well, I mean, this is something that's a passion of yours. You cover this extensively on your podcast, the business of podcasts, right? From bootstrappers to book publishers, you've covered it all. And so I'm, I'm curious to stay there for a second. How do you see podcasts in the toolkit of brands either starting or build up, building upon their content efforts, just like you talked about that example with Tinder? Where do you see that in, a, in the bigger picture? Yeah, I mean, the most important thing to know about podcasts is unless you have like a billion-dollar budget, you have to, any brand has to accept the fact that their podcasts to begin with, it's going to have almost no listenership. Um, podcasting, unlike other mediums like articles, like text-based content or image-based content or video-based content, it doesn't go viral. In order for someone to listen to a podcast, they someone has to hear about the podcast, then open their, you know, turn on their phone, go to their podcast app, search for that podcast and download it. And because there's that much friction, um, podcast growth is much more, much more linear. Like if I were to, um, you know, map that I keep like very close analytics of people who read my articles or uh, sign up for my news or who read my newsletter and share it. And it spikes all over the place because like a single article might go viral and be shared by hundreds of people um but if you look at the analytics from my podcast it's almost like a straight line Hmm. because it's so so linear um and that's and so the reason i'm saying all this is you have to kind of condition the brand uh to have patience and be in it in the long haul because if they're looking for basically the equivalent of a viral youtube video that you launch put a little bit of that spend behind and all of a sudden it has millions of views that's just not going to happen um and and you really have to you know really condition them that it's about that podcasting is about intimacy. You're in somebody's earbud, but it's probably the closest connection that you will ever have to your audience. And it's okay if that audience is smaller, as long as the connection is strong. Um, like I, I would say, you know, I wrote an article uh, a few months back where basically I argued having 5,000 podcast listeners is better than having over 100,000 Twitter followers because the connection is just that much stronger. And I think that's important to communicate to the brand. Yeah, and and so often, especially if you're talking to brands like consumer-facing brands that spend as national advertisers, I think it's just such a good point because they, they're all about scale, scale. Well, it's like, well, that's great. You can shout out to the world, but you have to rethink that. I mean, those people are tribal, right? To your point, if you're going to invest... It's like folks listening to this. If you're going to invest 30 minutes talking to us, talking about niche parts of content, if it's a couple thousand people, like that is very valuable uh, audience. And it's maybe reframing how to think about those super fans of your brand, if you will, um, in a different way as opposed to looking at them as just consumers, right? Exactly. And other than TVs or TV or movies, what other medium are you going to get to be spend an entire half an hour with someone you know what i mean like pot like podcasting it other than you know tv like sitting down someone sitting down and watching a tv show it's one of the only mediums where you're going to have that person's close to undivided attention for that long and that is just so much more so much more provides so much more value than someone watching like a three-minute video while they're scrolling through their facebook feed 
All right, so I'm going to change mediums here for a second and talk about email newsletters. I still think they're one of the most durable direct-to-consumer tools for the content strategy toolkit. But most companies creating any consistent content seem to have them, and it seems also that with the increasing flipping of algorithm switches by the different you know social media platforms, whether that's Facebook or Twitter, they've become more valuable or somewhat publisher-proof, if you will, and you recently interviewed Ernie Smith about this. And tell us what you learned. So Ernie Smith, he's, he's like one that he runs this like Facebook group for um, for newsletter creators. So like he's he's like a newsletters he's like a newsletter writer's like perfect person to go to for any kind of advice because he just knows so much about the field. He know and he he doesn't just know the writing part, but he's also good for the design. He knows all of the best email. Um, uh, service providers like he, he he really knows like all the technical aspects of email and you know like one of the parts that, that really drove home with the when we were talking in our discussion on my podcast is uh you know newsletters are probably the gold standard for having a direct relationship with your readers like they're it's it's because it's distributed through email it's a completely decentralized network it's not governed by an algorithm like you'll see on facebook or youtube or virtually any other social media um people guard their inboxes like they're very judicious about marking things as spam or unsubscribing to things that they don't want to get so you don't have to compete with as many other pieces of media like if you if you're someone is following you on twitter and you tweet something out um like your tweet is going to get buried in the feed so quickly that like less than three percent of your audience will actually see that tweet whereas when you send out an email close to 100 percent of your audience will at the very least see the subject line and if you have a decent um, open rate, you might they, you might get as high as thirty or forty percent of them opening it. So um, I think that's like a really kind of important relationship that you know you shouldn't use. Which is funny, right? Because I think you're seeing a lot of work communication. Email seems to be on the decline, right? If you look at like a ten year project projection of how people are, you know, people using Slack and other different types of communication vehicles, but. Again, kind of the same thing we talked about podcasts. Like it's almost tribal, it seems, with the email, uh, the email subscriptions. You become really part of a, you do come be part of that community, which has a value that is far greater than the number of people actually in that email group. Yeah, definitely. And like when I write my articles or share my podcast or something like that, um, I, and I tweet it out and I'll share it on my Facebook group and on LinkedIn and everything like that, where I actually like in total have a lot more followers. And yet my email list is a fraction of my social media following. And yet it'll drive way more views to my podcast or my whatever article I publish uh, just because, yeah, it's, it's like a relationship that can't be compared to anything else. Very cool. I saw today, and we're, we're taping this in, in early February post-Super Bowl, and just today, uh, Digiday put out a, an article on Morning Brew getting $13 million in revenue on the, their email newsletter and how they've doubled revenue, and it's it just sparks conversation on Twitter, like, holy cow, email newsletter is still, you know, still fighting strong, and it's it seems to be um, almost counterintuitive, but uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of them myself, so... Let's I don't think it's that counterintuitive. Like I, I, I think that like the death of email is always being written, but it's it's never actually realized. Uh, 
Uh, obviously, there are, there are platforms like Slack and stuff that are that are replacing some aspects of email, but I think uh, people were still mostly slaves to their email. It's, it's <laughs> probably it's probably the only medium that has like a hundred percent penetration, and uh, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. That's fair. So let's talk about your podcast, the business of content. How's it going? And curious to hear as a, as a listener of you of yours, what key topics you're focusing on for the next three to six months. Oh wow! Uh, so it's it's going really well. Like like I said, uh, I you know I was just I'm actually writing kind of this article right now because I'm actually trying about to launch kind of like a paid subscription newsletter. Uh, and I was kind of noting in the newsletter of like, you know, I've been seeing this linear growth and now I'm just reaching to this point where I'm actually getting emails from listeners on like almost like a, uh, a weekly or sometimes daily basis. And in fact, I, it was kind of funny as I was writing those sentences, two separate emails came in from people who were basically writing in to compliment me on my podcast. Uh, so it's it's really gratifying because like when you first start doing podcasting, uh, you feel like you're just sending it out there into the other because like it's not like a social network. People you can't see people liking it or listening to it or uh, or commenting on it or anything like that because it's kind of like a more kind of old school type of medium in that way. Uh, so at, at first you don't know if anybody's listening. You see the number of downloads, but you don't know if that and like how many of those people are actually like taking your time to you know open up their podcast app and listen. Uh, so it's been gratifying now that the audience has been growing to see uh, people kind of you know remarking on episodes online or actually you know reaching and tweeting at me uh, or like you know actually emailing me uh like i just received like a really long email i haven't read yet but but um from a listener so that's been going really well um in terms of like what i am going to be doing over the next few months from, from my podcast i'm just looking for awesome people to interview like next week i've got the tech editor from axioms on that was a really good interview mm. um i'm looking for more video practitioners that's something i'm a little bit light on um, it's hard sometimes to get YouTubers like who have like built like really sustainable businesses uh, onto the podcast sometimes because they're kind of because they're kind of semi-famous. They're just inundated with so much email and social media interactions that I think like I kind of get lost in the ether and I just sound like this random person asking them onto the podcast. Uh, so they kind of ignore me. So I'm definitely looking for uh, more of that. I'm always fascinated in newsletters so i'm constantly trying to get people who have built sustainable businesses off of newsletters uh yeah so that's that's kind of what i'll be focusing on over the next several months awesome i look forward to to seeing what comes down the pike in in that regard and i, I you just mentioned something because i always talk about the value of i think one of the most underrated things in the business of content is the value of curation right and it's because it, it's kind of this intangible it's it's one of like the under underlying reasons on why you may sign up for like for example like the wall street journal cmo which i get in my email inbox every day right somebody who you trust who's going out there and taking a bunch of different content from different places and putting an opinion on it and saying hey you're part of this community i think this is something of relevance to you and that's what you're doing right in the business of content i'm i'm looking at you and saying hey what is what is simon following what's what's he talking about what trends is he seeing so i'm curious about how you go about kind of your daily business content consumption, right? Not necessarily news or sports or whatever you like from an entertainment perspective, but more the brass tacks of 
publications you follow, emails you subscribe to, industry trade sources? What are some of the things that you're going through to kind of piece all of this together for your podcast? Yeah. Uh, so the very first part of my day, like I'm lucky because I'm a freelancer, I have a lot of flexibility on how I structure my day. Um, so the very first part of my day, I'm actually spending, you know, a significant uh, time, uh, you know, reading through newsletters. And so, you know, the, the go-to newsletter for me is obviously DigiDay. Um, if you work in the content business and you're not paying the DigiDay, to paying to subscribe to DigiDay, I, I would question what the hell are you doing in this business and get out. It's just such a good publication. It's it, it only publishes original content where they give you deep insights. It doesn't do kind of that daily churn of just reblogging whatever news is breaking. Like everything is original about what they're doing. They get you know the top executives at the top media companies to basically share their secrets. Um, so you're making Brian, you're making Brian Morrissey swoon right now. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> Um, so, you, so you got you have that, uh, you know, in terms of like a more kind of independent uh, newsletter, I read uh, Hot Pod. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's a uh, podcast industry newsletter run by a guy named Nick Qua. I'm actually a paying subscriber in that. I'm a big believer in paying for content, and I always mm-hmm. encourage uh, people to do that. Um, you know, the Neiman Lab newsletter uh, is really good. Um, there's a there's a newsletter put on by I'm really fascinated not just with like um, you know journalism media companies but also the big streaming companies like Netflix and Disney Plus and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, and and Spotify uh, for that I, I there's a there's a Bloomberg reporter named Lucas Shaw um, he has a great uh, newsletter that he sends out uh, once a week I forget the name of it but if you Google Lucas Lucas Shaw newsletter you'll find it. Uh, Tube Filter, I don't know if you know of that publication, sure. uh, but it, it, it covers kind of uh, online video. I, I love that newsletter. Um, yeah, so so there's and you know you know the big tech publications like Recode and stuff like that. Although yeah. for some reason Recode has stopped publishing its newsletter recently, I have no idea why. Uh, so yeah, that's how I start my day. Um, you know, I'm always kind of I'm a huge Twitter addict, so I'm always kind of going through that. Although. Um, because we're in the Trump era, uh, that's always flooding my feed, and, and I think a lot of uh, good tech and media stuff gets buried, mm-hmm. and so I can't rely solely on that. Um, and then, I, you know, also because I have the flexibility from being a freelancer, I go on a walk every day and listen to podcasts, and I probably have over 100 different podcasts to listen to, but media-wise, I really love listening to the Recode Media Podcast, which is uh, hosted by... Um, Peter Kafka, mm-hmm. Digiday podcast. Um, don't you love then, Don't you uh, love Brian Morrissey trying to get his guests on Digiday to cough up like real numbers and not talk about percentage growth? It's like I I, I, I email him and be like, keep going. One of these days, someone's gonna. I think Sean yeah. Griffey's the only guy who I've ever heard like tell the numbers and pull it back. And that's it's so funny to hear the you know him try to pull people off of their marketing speak and get into kind of the details like you do. Yeah. Yeah, he's good at interrupting his guests whenever they're kind of uh, <laughs> with with marketing speak and asking them for, you know the real questions for sure. That's great. Well, Simon, uh, really appreciate your time. Simon Owens, content and social media marketing consultant, uh, host of the podcast, The Business of Content. Uh, where should we send people besides their podcast place to download The Business of Content? Um, where can they follow you? Where would you like to be connected with folks? So you should really subscribe to my newsletter. It's not just a curation of links. Like I go really deep into case studies and uh, 
right, like these long 1500 word pieces that people within the industry really value. Uh, it's at simonowens.substack.com. Awesome. Simon, thank you so much for the time. Appreciate you joining us and look forward to seeing you soon. My pleasure. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to Brand Story Inc. We'll be back next week with another conversation digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn.